Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. The scripture reading for this Sunday is from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that, it may, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we are completing our sermon series, The Hope Effect, and I hope that it actually, I hope it has actually been a blessing for you guys that you have discovered how um, to increase your hope that we have in the gospel. Uh, to be honest, these six weeks of looking at how to increase my hope has felt a little bit odd, uh, and I didn't realize it until this week in, pre- in pre- preparation for this sermon, because I what we know about the Christian life is that God transforms us, but it goes deeper than just that. The story of God is not that we simply become new and renewed people. It's that we are used to raise the hope of this world. That God renews and transforms us so that we can go into this world to seek to be agents of change in this world. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to flip it around. So what we're going to talk about is, instead of how can I increase my hope level, the question for us today is, how could we be used by God to inspire and evoke hope in this world for which God loves? And so this morning, we hear it from the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, Jesus' most fundamental uh, sermon, is lesson that he gave. And many people, many commentators will talk about this as this is the inauguration of King Jesus. There is a, a large crowd of people, mostly uh, commoners, who are gathering to hear uh, from Jesus. They want to know about this rabbi that started to move and teach and heal. And we see here in this passage, Jesus is talking about the kingdom that he's going to initiate in this world. And he does it in surprising ways. He takes this idea of the blessed life and flips it upside down. And he starts talking about, blessed are the powerful, for they don't need anything. Right? No, that wasn't the kingdom Jesus was starting. Jesus started saying things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who make peace. Blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted. And then Jesus looks at this probably confused crowd and spoke to them the scripture that we just heard. And out of all the different ways that Jesus could describe who they were to be in this new kingdom, Jesus uses two pictures, that they are going to be salt, and they are going to be light. Really bizarre. Salt, especially for me, it's such an interesting idea, that Jesus looks at these people and goes, in my kingdom, you're going to be the salt of this earth. 
In Jesus' day, salt was different from how we experience it. Salt has a greater purpose than to cause conflict between husband and wife as the wife jabs her husband in the elbow for using salt on her meal before he even tasted that if it needed salt, right? Uh, Salt was an actual precious commodity in Jesus' day. It was, uh, it was, in some ways, how people were even uh, compensated. Uh, Roman soldiers oftentimes were paid by salt. And so that was where we get the phrase that someone's not even worth their salt. Uh, it's, it's what it's, it was what that's speaking to. And so primarily salt was used for two main purposes. It was used for flavoring and preserving. So now let's keep that in our mind as we think about Jesus looking at this community of followers in this new kingdom that Jesus was doing. And he's looking at them and saying, you are to be flavor and you are to be preserving. Think about this. First off is salt as a seasoning agent. Others' people's life should taste better because of you. They're, the God flavors in this life in this world should actually be brought out because the presence of salt is there. That you're, you're, the joy that other people were created to experience is brought out by people of salt. The hope that we are longing for in this world is brought out because of the presence of salt. And Jesus is looking at them and going, you are to be the seasoning. You are to draw out the joy, the goodness of life that has been with inside of us. And the tragedy for us is oftentimes people who are following Jesus Christians are not known for drawing out the good flavors of life. It's like this, this sad reputation that to be a follower of Jesus means you might miss out on the best parts of life. I know it's that sad. <laughs> but following Jesus actually means that, that we... Like, this is the way C.S. Lewis put it. When he's talking about heaven, he said that heaven, the serious business of heaven, and I love the idea of the serious, like the eyebrows are furrowed and low. low. The serious business of heaven is joy. Like, that is what God takes seriously. That's what heaven will be known for, is joy, the presence of joy. And so as people of salt, as we go into this world, we draw out joy. This is a God flavor that we as people of salt are called to do. We are called to go into this world so that people could taste the goodness of God. The second thing that salt is used for is a preservative. Salt is, uh, slows down decaying, so without the comforts of refrigeration and, and, and Jesus' day, they would take meats especially and they would cover it with salt to slow down the decaying and so think about that as what Jesus might be saying, that you are to be the salt of this earth, that the process of death, slowly dying, this decaying that's happening in this world, you are to be a preservative. And you can see how, like, for us, death, the process of the slow and gradual death is a part of our world. It's a natural part of our world. And salt doesn't take that away. It just slows it down. And so I wonder what Jesus was saying to this original audience. I wonder how they took it, that uh, this original audience who probably went to Jesus because of their own longings for hope, like us, people that went to Jesus to kind of go, all right, I want to know what, what, if he can fix my life. I wonder if, G, 
I wonder if, I, I wonder if this Jesus can, can take the rubble of my life and fix it. And Jesus has this audience and says something very different. I want you to go into this world and I want you to be the salt. I want you to bring out the God flavors beneath the surface. Season this world with joy, with delight and goodness so others can taste it. I want you to preserve life. I don't want death to creep in quite yet. I want you to go into this world so that life can be sustained. So for us, to be people who we were created to be, we have to take a serious look at what are we adding to this world. Not what are we taking from this world, but what are we adding into this world like an additive that salt might be? What are we doing with this world? What are the ways that we can be salt? St. Francis of Assisi took literally the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he said that care for the least of these, uh, you know, the hungry, the naked, the imprisoned. And so he took those words seriously, literally. And so he went to those in the world who literally experienced the power of decay more than anyone else, lepers. All of his life, Francis despised lepers with disgust and disdain. And then one day on a journey, he encountered a leopard who stopped him in his path. He was walking through a narrow path, and this leopard was standing right in the middle of his walkway on his way to Perugia. And Francis stopped and looked at this man whose face and hands were decaying, already rotted by the disease, uh, and he thought, okay, I guess this man is in my way because uh, he knows I'm kind of freaked out right now, and so I'm going to give him my money. And so he reached in and gave him all the money he had, and the man received it. And then rather than stepping out of the way, he stood there. And so St. Francis then, well, oh, I, I have my cloak. Perhaps this cloak is what he's really looking for to comfort him in the chill of the Umbrian hill country. And so he took off the cloak and lovingly placed it on his shoulders. He received it and then remained firmly in Francis's way. And without any more gifts to give, Francis didn't know what to do. He didn't have anything else to offer. And then, with a moment of reality, he re realized what he needed to do. And he closed his eyes and kissed the man in the face. And when he opened up his eyes, the leper had mysteriously vanished. This was a mystical encounter that changed St. Francis's life. Because from then on, he believed that he had this interaction with Jesus. That this interaction with the leper, the one who is experiencing decay in this world, that for St. Francis, that this was an encounter with the risen Christ. From then on in his life, lepers were sacramental. The opportunity to care for those people for which life was falling apart and death was reigning, to be able to be a preservative was a sacrament for him. So for us, where are we sensing hopelessness, decay, and ruin, believing that Jesus is uniquely there, waiting for you to show up by our words and deeds that we could be salt going into this world? But we also see that Jesus reached out to another analogy in this passage around light. And light is a little bit more obvious for us. We have in verses 14 and 15, the beginning of what Jesus said, you are to be the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's important to know in Jesus' day in this region, most of the cities were built by white limestone. And so this was an image that was more present for those people's life than for us. What it might it mean to be a city on a hill? So for many of their experiences, they would know what it would be like to leave home and then come back at night and see their town, their city, lit up by hundreds of candles and torches and to feel the presence of refuge and home on the city. And so what Jesus is saying is, you are to be that refuge for the wanderer, for the homeless, for those people who are wondering if I can make it back home. I am calling you that city on a hill. You are to be a beacon of hope. And likewise, what would happen if you put a candle under a bowl? Not only would it be covered, but it only is a matter of time until all the oxygen is burned off and it's extinguished. So what Jesus is saying is deeply about who they were. Jesus is saying that saltiness and life, light are similar in this way. It ceases to exist if it's withheld. When salt is contaminated, might as well toss it out. When light is hidden, it will be exterminated. And you know the light when it goes into the darkness, and you know the salt when you're able to taste it, to know it is good. And I think Jesus is saying something really striking. Jesus is looking at these crowds of commoners, telling them who they were meant to be. You are the salt. You are the light. You are my presence in this world. And I think if I were in the crowd and heard Jesus looking at me, saying, you are the salt, you are the light. My honest response was, I thought you were. That's why I'm here. Like, I need light. I need salt. And Jesus saying, that's who you are going to be. It is true that Jesus did say he was the light in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke this again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But our lives are connected to Jesus. Just like a branch is to the vine, so is our life to Jesus. And we are connected to who Jesus has and will be for our life. Our identities are one like that. So when the light of the world comes to us and says, I don't want you to just worship me. I want you to join me. I want you to be where I am so that you can reflect the light of Jesus And be like a city on a hill. In this passage, Jesus is saying, because of my coming kingdom, now you are the light. Paul would uh, later remind a church of this. Church is just like the vine. uh, To remember who they were in Ephesians 5.8. Paul said, "For for, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. He's saying, Don't forget who you are. You are children born into light. Live like it. So for us, live like children of light. Go into darkness, the absence of light, and step in so not only that you will discover who you are, but you will further my kingdom there. During this series, we have celebrated how we know of the God of hope. We believe that God is 
uh, most known in Jesus, and Jesus came as the Savior and Redeemer, that he was born fully human, he lived among us, he restored, he gave hope, he poured himself out, he was raised from the dead, giving us eternal hope. And some people's story of Jesus ends there. But here's the kicker. He then turns to people as confused and still broken as you and I, and he says, you are my body. You are the body of Christ in this world. You are the body of hope. We, as this little community, this one-year-old little baby community, we are the body of Christ in this world. As daunting as that is, as much as we might want to dodge that, this is God's plan for how this world could experience hope. Little communities like us, living as salt and light together. We might want to push back on that. Tony Campolo, a pastor and sociologist, he said this, just as Jesus was the then body of Christ, so we are the now body. If you are thinking that it's one thing to say Christ was alive in Jesus, but quite another to say that Christ is alive in us, you are wrong. The Bible says that to be converted is to be the body of Christ. This is connected. So there's a greater purpose for us to live as salt and light because we are extending that body of Christ to this world which God loves. In, in doing so, we find in verse 16 that this might happen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The end of this passage is tricky for some because who likes the idea of displaying your good deeds, right? This is more of a motivation issue than anything else. This is that uh, a calling for us to, to live as light, not so that we earn praise for ourselves, but so that we can reflect who God is. The goal is that other people could see these good deeds, could experience the restoration of God's kingdom, could be inspired by hope, and glorify God as well. To get sucked into the story of how God transforms and heals and restores confused people like you and me. Like that's the goal. It's, it's kind of like when you're at a busy restaurant and it's someone's birthday and one table starts singing happy birthday and all of a sudden the rest of the restaurant gets sucked into the song. So it is with us. When we go into this world, the way in which God might use us is that they could see the stories that we are living out in our life by entering into the tastelessness in this world, by entering into the dark and see this and go, I want in on that. I want in on that hope. I want in on that knowing of Jesus and that they too could glorify God. That's the hope. That's the greater purpose. And so as we close out this series, I just want us to stop and think about where is there darkness in our world? Where is there a need for God flavors to emerge? In your own life, where is there darkness in your own life that God's wanting to flood light into? Where is the taste of death in your own life that God might want to salt and season with grace, with hope, with joy, with holiness, with beauty? For me, I was struck by, this is a word picture I'd love to leave with you guys as we finish this series. For me, one of my favorite parts of Austin is our moon towers. 
You remember Party at the Moon Tower, right? Days and Confuse. Uh, when I first moved to Austin, we were... Uh, we watched Days Confused at a park. Uh, you know, Alan the Draft House had that thing. We were inspired by this. We were in our, like, 25 years old, so brains hadn't fully developed. And uh, we were so inspired by this that after watching this movie, we went to the closest moon tower and tried to climb it, uh, party at the moon tower. It's my only brush with the police I've had here, uh, confessional time right there. But ever since then, I love it because it's just bizarre that we have these moon towers. Did you know that uh, Austin is still the only city in the world that has these type of moon towers still lit? In 1894, Austin purchased 31 used towers from Detroit. And right now, there's still around 17 of these towers remaining. The modern person might underestimate the experience of this light. Again, 1894. Think about that. 1894, this is when uh, these came in. That gas lights were used, and they're about as powerful as around 15 candles. And these arc lights were put in, and they were as strong as several thousand candles. All of a sudden, in this town, these 31 moon towers lit up this city. So dramatically that it changed the Austin community that people felt safer that people actually call these moon towers policemen on a pole. This cartoon is from 1885. Look at this. Love this moon tower shining down on people with daggers, and I think that's booze. Here we have a gun and some sort of demon thing. But this is how people saw these moon towers. They believed that it would, it would vanquish the darkness and all the things that happen in darkness. That it would also, one of the things that was unexpected is that these moon towers actually created gathering places. Because at nighttime, you can't see one another, and it's really hard to light up, that people started having banquets, parties, balls underneath these moon towers. It actually created a, a space for people to gather and to celebrate. And it changed how they saw the city because of the strong lights coming down that many women, I saw this in a, in a newspaper article, many women didn't like how it illuminated their faces, you know, like a, with a light coming down and made them look like their nose was really big or something like that. So they began to walk around with umbrellas, you know, to guard themselves from being too illuminated. What I love about these moon towers, and many of them still exist in Austin, when I drive around these moon towers, I honestly, I think about the church. I think about the church and God's plan for how the church might be in Austin. Scattered around this city, which God loves, creating light, bringing about safety and refuge, creating community where people see one another differently. This is God's longing for Austin. And the great thing is God invites us, the vine, would you want to take part in that? Would you want to help be my light? Would you want to go into the darkness in this city, in this community, and shine for me? Friends, this is a challenge that I hear, and I just want to say, I am all in. And I can't imagine a group of people who I would love to do that more than you. And know Ted is all in. And we want to be a church that's a light, a beacon, that's strong out these flavors. So, you want to join us? Let's do it. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for this opportunity, the privilege to be your body in the world. And as daunting as it feels to be, as such a bad plan as it seems to be sometimes to choose us to be your presence in this world, I just thank you for that. That you want us to know our identity in this world and our identity in you is to be agents of hope in this world. So I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom to know where there's darkness where there needs to be flavor so that we can be filled with courage by your presence and go in this world. So before, friends, before we get to this table, I just want to create some space for you guys to just do some honest reflection, prayer, and confession. The two questions are, where is there darkness in your life? And it might be darkness in your personal life and it might be darkness in your surroundings where God might want his presence, illuminating presence to go in. Or maybe there is places in your life where there's decay and God wants for there to be salt. So just, let's just take this moment of just a piece of just going to God and just listening to God and sharing God our thoughts around us. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers, for knowing our stories, and for calling us and redeeming us and restoring us for that greater purpose. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Christ, who has been our light, who has been our deliverer, who has been our sustainer. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray that you would make us into your body for the sake of this world. Amen.